If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode contains distressing themes explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. The manager of an amusement arcade on the corner of Gerrard Street and Wardour Street in Soho, London, went to open the premises for business. It was just before 8am on Monday, April 3rd, 1989. Accompanied by his assistant, when the manager entered the building, he heard faint cries from the basement and a strong smell of smoke hung in the air. They moved cautiously through the property, heading down some stairs to a locked storeroom. When they opened the door and went inside, they discovered a desperate situation. Two employees were positioned near the door barely clinging to life, and two others were burned beyond recognition, trapped in a wire cage used to store cash. The manager and the assistant hurriedly called the emergency services, but before the police and paramedics arrived, one of the badly burned employees managed to utter three vital words. 
Victor did it. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 29 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. The Leisure Investments Amusement Arcade in Soho closed around midnight. On the evening of Sunday, April 2nd, 26-year-old cashier Debbie Alvarez and 24-year-old duty manager Yurev Gomez had just finished counting the day's takings when unexpectedly five people walked through the door. Flanked by four individuals who appeared to be teenagers was someone Yurev and Debbie knew. He was a former employee at the amusement arcade. 34-year-old Victor Castigador. Castigador had worked as a security guard at the arcade up until just a few days prior. Tensions between him and the managers escalated when Castigador was passed up for a promotion. The former employee and a young male accomplice began waving handguns in the air and ordered the staff to hand over the keys to the cash store. The gang was formed of another male teenager and two females. Taken by surprise, two security guards had also been working at the arcade that night, 21-year-old Ambikai Payanapapayan, who went by Pan, and 28-year-old Candy Akanapathy Vinayagamorti, also known as Morty. After Castigador had knocked one of the security guards to the floor, Yurev Gomez handed Castigador the keys. Everyone was ordered down to the basement. With a gun to his neck, Yurev was forced to open the steel strongroom door. Once inside, the inner wire cage used to store the cash from the day's takings was opened and the robbers took over £8,000. One of the gunmen ordered the two security guards to get into the cage and drop to their knees. Their hands were tied. Debbie and Yurev were then told to do the same before their wrists were bound, and Castigador scoured the room before picking up a nearby dustbin. The area was also used for storing equipment and cleaning products. Castigador grabbed a bottle of spirit from a shelf. Yurev would later recall. Victor threw bits of paper into the cage. He started squirting a pink liquid. He made sure everyone was soaked. He slammed the cage door shut and secured it with a coat hanger. Taunting their captives... Victor Castigador and one of his accomplices began lighting matches and flicking them into the cage. One of the guards managed to extinguish the flames before they ignited the paper on the floor. Morty begged them to stop. I would rather you shoot me, he said. Castigador ignored Morty's pleas and grabbed some newspaper pushing it against the bottom of the cage and setting it alight. Yurev cried out, How can you do this? 
These are people just like you. But it was too late. Castigador and his accomplices ran from the basement and fled the arcade. The employees were trapped inside the six-foot wire cage. Urev was closest to the door. There was a ball of fire, he said. It was like an oven. There was nowhere to go. I undid my hands and kicked my way out of the cage. My skin was on fire. I could feel myself disintegrating. Urev rolled on the floor and up against the wall to extinguish the flames covering his entire body. Using all his strength, he managed to pull himself over to the door, putting his face to the keyhole to try and breathe, but the room was thick with smoke. Fumes from the flammable liquid made each breath unbearable. His lungs were scorched. Despite this, Urev noticed that Debbie was unconscious and one of her legs was still on fire. He reached over and attempted to put out the blaze with his hand, but in doing so the flame spread and his entire body again caught fire. Somehow he managed to extinguish the flames before pulling Debbie out of the cage and over to the bottom of the strong room door. There was a draught, letting in a small amount of fresh air. The security guards at the back of the cage had sustained the worst burns, and it was some time before they succumbed to their injuries. In their last moments, they prayed. For eight long and excruciating hours, Urev and Debbie tried to breathe the air from the draught at the bottom of the strong room door. Once the other manager and assistant arrived the next morning to take over for the day shift and realised what had happened, they called the emergency services straight away. The police and paramedics had difficulty opening the storage cage because of how it had been forced closed with a coat hanger. Urev and Debbie were rushed to Queen's Mary Hospital in Roehampton. Sadly, the two security guards, Morty and Pan, were pronounced dead at the scene. Urev Gomez suffered close to 30% full thickness burns across the surface of his body. His entire left arm had been severely burned, as had patches of the skin on his face, right arm, back and chest. He also sustained severe inhalation burns, which meant artificial ventilation was used at the hospital. Debbie Alvarez suffered 28% burns across her body, but she had full thickness burns on her face, arms, hands, back, buttocks and thighs. When she arrived at the hospital, she was hypothermic and in respiratory failure. Still miraculously, thanks to Urev's heroic efforts, they both survived. It was concluded Morty and Pan had died from their severe burns and asphyxiation. Investigators were given their first clue by Urev Gomez, who had been able to tell his co-workers that 
Victor did it. Detective Superintendent Alan Lewis was tasked with leading the hunt for the murderous gang who had worked with Victor Castigador. Officers from Scotland Yard had also found security footage from the arcade, which helped them narrow down the search to known petty criminals, 19-year-old Calvin Nelson and 17-year-old Paul Clinton. Along with their girlfriends, 17-year-old Karen Dunn and 20-year-old Alison Woodside, Nelson and Clinton had been enlisted by Castigador to carry out the robbery and arson attack on the arcade. After escaping with their share of the money, the group went out for the night, spending the cash they had stolen on a meal and drinks at a disco. As they were picked up from a bar in a taxi, one of the females in the group said that she was cold and the taxi driver offered to turn the heater on. One of the male members of the group sarcastically said, We don't want to burn. The taxi driver's confusion at the eruption of laughter that followed was compounded when another one of the group began singing a pop song called Burn It Up. When the driver asked them what was so funny, they told him it was a private joke. The group travelled to Torquay and broke into a property on Tinmouth Road where they spent the next few days. In the meantime, officers had tracked down Victor Castigador, who was taken into custody. At the station, the short and stocky Castigador told the police that he was born and raised in the Philippines. At the age of 21, he was recruited to join a military police-style organisation called the Philippines Constabulary. During what would be known as the Marcos regime, head of state Ferdinand Marcos established a corrupt dictatorship that culminated in a time of martial law. Under this regime, Castigador claimed to have operated as a hitman for a Colonel Lagman, and indicated that he had killed around 20 people either by shooting them or setting them alight. In the early 80s, Castigador met an English woman named Jacqueline. She had moved to the Philippines with her husband, who worked as a driver. When her marriage ended, Castigador began a relationship with Jacqueline. He explained that he was a, quote, sort of policeman. After Jacqueline moved back to the UK in 1984, Castigador followed, and they married in August 1985. They had two children together, but within a year, Castigador began abusing his wife and mistreating their children. Jacqueline ordered him to leave, so he moved to London where Castigador found employment as a security guard at the Leisure Investments Amusement Arcade. Castigador was prone to using excessive force when dealing with customers he perceived as troublemakers. He frequently turned up late for work, causing friction between him and the general manager. When someone else was promoted to assistant manager in late March 1989, Castigador was fired, which made him furious. 
During questioning about the arcade murders, Castigador seemed indifferent, and one police officer later recalled that Castigador, quote, couldn't understand what all the fuss was about. He had been identified by the surviving victims, both of whom remained in hospital in serious condition. Victor Castigador was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of attempted murder, and one count of robbery. In the early hours of April 6, 1989, officers at Torquay Police Station were briefed by members of the Metropolitan Police who were investigating the murders. They had received information that one of the members of the group wanted in connection with what the media had dubbed the Human Torch Killings had been seen in the area. Detective Constable Georgina Richards ended her shift after the briefing. She was making her way home when she spotted someone on Tinmouth Road who matched the description of Calvin Nelson. DC Richards returned to the station and alerted her supervisor, who in turn sent out other officers to Tinmouth Road to investigate. Officers spoke to the landlord, Jack Posselwaite, who told them he had trouble with a group of people staying in a basement flat usually occupied by a young woman, but at the time she was away on holiday. Posselwaite received noise complaints about the group and confronted them, but they claimed that the usual tenant had allowed them to stay there until the weekend because they had run out of money while on holiday in South Devon. The investigators knew that the group were more than likely Calvin Nelson, Paul Clinton, Alison Woodside and Karen Dunn. A raid was planned at dawn to lessen the risk of the suspects running off in the dark. A team made up of officers from the Devon and Cornwall Constabulary and Metropolitan Police broke through the door of the basement flat which had been barricaded with a large fridge freezer and quickly apprehended the suspects. Detective Sergeant Bates later told the Herald Express, The element of surprise was on our side. All four offered little resistance. They didn't even have time to get out of bed because we dived on them. It was a long shot at the start, but in the end we got the goods. It was a good team effort between CID and uniformed officers. Like Victor Castigador, the group of four young suspects were charged with two counts of murder two counts of attempted murder and robbery. They were remanded into custody, facing trial together in February 1990. On the first day of legal proceedings, Castigador changed his plea, admitting two counts of murder, the attempted murder of Urev Gomez and robbery but he maintained a not-guilty plea for the attempted murder of Debbie Alvarez. That charge would remain on file, and Castigador would be sentenced when the trial for his co-defendants ended. Calvin Nelson, 
Paul Clinton. Alison Woodside and Karen Dunn denied the murder and attempted murder charges, although Nelson and Clinton admitted a charge of robbery and Woodside admitted theft. Crown Prosecutor Jean Southworth QC told the jury at the Old Bailey that what happened on that dreadful night could be put down to two words, grudge and greed. She said that the grudge was held by Victor Castigador and the greed came from him and his gang. The prosecutor said, he obviously sees himself as a tough guy. He often bragged of his life in the Philippines, saying he had been in the commandos and the secret police. The gang had stolen £8,685 in the raid and the surviving victims were present in court to testify against them. Yurev Gomez was still suffering from lung damage when he spoke from the witness box. He had to wear a black glove to protect the skin on his left hand, which was still healing. There were audible gasps from the public gallery as he detailed the horrific ordeal inside the wire cage on April 2nd the previous year. Debbie Alvarez was also still receiving treatment at the Burns Unit in Queen Mary's Hospital, where her nose was being rebuilt by surgeons. She bravely sat through the trial, holding the hand of a nurse who accompanied her. Debbie said, I wanted to be here so that Victor could see what he had done to me. The jury heard that Castigador had worked at the arcade, knew when would be the best time to carry out a robbery. He was aware that the cash takings for a Sunday would not be paid into the bank until the following morning. The prosecutor also argued that Castigador had decided in advance that the staff members would have to be killed because they would recognise him. While it was revealed that the guns used in the committal of the crime were plastic imitations, the terror inflicted by them was very real. On February 28, 1990, the jury returned with their verdicts. Paul Clinton and Calvin Nelson were found guilty of two counts of murder, two counts of attempted murder, and one count of robbery. Karen Dunn and Alison Woodside were acquitted of murder and attempted murder, but were found guilty of robbery. 20-year-old Calvin Nelson was sentenced to life in prison and Paul Clinton, who was then 18, was ordered to be detained for 20 years in a centre for youth offenders. 18-year-old Karen Dunn was sentenced to three years in youth custody and 21-year-old Alison Woodside, the daughter of a former police officer, was sentenced to three years in prison. Victor Castigador's solicitor James Mulcahy had remarked that it was clear from what his client had said in interviews that his work in the Philippines involved the loss of human life in circumstances that would not have even been contemplated in the Western world. Mulcahy stated, 
it would be very surprising if you had not come to the conclusion, having heard the evidence and witness testimony, that Castigador was a ruthless, callous and inhumane monster. Before sentencing Victor Castigador, Mr Justice Rougier addressed the defendant and said, I find it almost impossible to understand the workings of a mind as twisted and evil as yours. You were the man who planned this and recruited for it, and with evil determination saw it through. You have forfeited the right to walk free among decent men and women for a long time and some might say you have forfeited the right to live. But unlike you, we do not go to that length in this country. Before he was led to the cells, Castigador replied, That's fair enough. Victor Castigador was one of several killers whose sentence would be extended by the Home Secretary to a whole life tariff, and his time in prison showed that he could not be rehabilitated in any way. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Victor Castigador had a reputation for violence behind bars. He had been transferred a number of times after committing offences within prison such as stabbing an inmate in 2005 and assaulting another with a potato concealed in a sock in 2011. Two years later, Castigador was transferred to HMP Long Larton, a Category A prison in Worcestershire. The facility houses up to 622 Category A and B adult male offenders who have been sentenced to a minimum of four years in prison. It also has a vulnerable prisoner's unit. Inmates seen as vulnerable either due to the nature of the crime they committed or threats they received behind bars are housed in a separate unit for their own protection. In March 2015, Castigador applied for vulnerable prisoner status and was moved to a vulnerable prisoner unit on B-Wing. He told prison officials that he had been using drugs on the standard wing and wanted to move away from the temptation. Other inmates argued that he owed a drug debt. Castigador had also informed staff members about an attack on a prison officer that had been planned by another prisoner, and he was afraid of the repercussions. As such, Castigador was regarded as a situational vulnerable prisoner, rather than vulnerable due to the offence he committed. Around 40 security information reports were filed on Castigador between 2013 and 2016, accusing him of bullying, assaulting and threatening other prisoners. In October 2015, Castigador applied to work at the DHL workshop in the prison. By February of the following year, his application was approved. A supervisor in the workshop said that Castigador liked to develop good relationships with the staff and had begun to insist on helping her in the workshop, even when she did not need it. The supervisor also reported tension and incidents between Castigador and another vulnerable prisoner in the workshop, but the reports were not considered urgent. Just after 9am on Monday, June 20th, 2016, officers at HMP Long Larton were escorting vulnerable prisoners to the DHL workshop. DHL supplies and delivers canteen food in prisons, employing inmates to fulfil the orders, 
paying them around 50 pence per hour. DHL also offers some prisoners the opportunity to obtain qualifications in storage management, with a view to them gaining employment when they are released. Once all of the prisoners assigned to the workshop had arrived, they were ushered into a foyer where their safety boots were kept. The door was then locked. Usually a door on the opposite side of the area would be unlocked once the prisoners had put on their safety boots. Within seconds of the first door being locked, one of the officers heard several thuds. He could not see where the sound was coming from as the other prisoners were blocking his line of sight. Once the prison officers unlocked the door and the crowd dispersed, they could see Victor Castigador inflicting a flurry of blows on another prisoner, Chidonio Teixeira, who was lying on the floor. As the officers rushed to intervene, Castigador immediately stopped the attack and sat on a chair. While the prison officers radioed for an ambulance, Castigador said, He pissed me off. He deserved it. I'm never getting out. I have nothing to lose. He won't need an ambulance. He's dead. The officers supported to share his head to help him breathe, but he had lost a lot of blood. As they waited for paramedics to arrive, one of the officers used an anti-ligature knife to cut open to share his shirt and check for other injuries. He had several severe wounds to his head, and to share his breath became shallow. A prison nurse arrived within minutes and quickly moved to share into the recovery position, applied pressure to his wounds and began administering oxygen. Paramedics entered the prison at 9.18am, 12 minutes after officers had radioed a code red. They assessed Teixeira and determined that he needed to go to the hospital by air ambulance, but as they were waiting, Teixeira stopped breathing. Thereafter, they were then informed a helicopter would not be able to be dispatched due to the weather. Sidonio Teixeira's condition became critical, and he could not be moved, so the paramedics attempted resuscitative efforts at the scene, but after 40 minutes, Teixeira was pronounced dead. The search of the workshop turned up a weapon used by Castigador in the attack, a rock concealed in a pair of socks. Castigador was questioned and told staff that he had meant to kill Teixeira because he claimed, It's my job. When I was in my country, I was a member of the liquidation squad. Castigador said he hated Teixeira because he was an informer and because of the nature of Teixeira's offence. Sidonio Teixeira had been sentenced to life in prison after pleading guilty to murdering his three-year-old daughter and attempting to murder his nine-year-old son in 2006. He was transferred to Long Larton in 2009. 
due to his crimes against his children, he was placed on the vulnerable prisoner unit. Teixeira often complained to the prison staff about drug use or noise on the prison wing. Between 2009 and 2016, over 50 security information reports about Teixeira were submitted by staff, detailing incidents where he had been threatened, assaulted or bullied by other prisoners, or when he had provided information about other inmates. Teixeira was deemed a low risk to others and was approved to begin working in the DHL workshop in December 2014. There he packed prisoners' shop orders alongside other vulnerable prisoners from A and B wing. The DHL supervisor described Teixeira as a loner and many other prisoners saw him as an informant. He would often speak up if anything was missing or report prisoners for stealing items. Staff members at Longlarton said Teixeira was unpopular and at times antagonistic toward fellow inmates, but he never asked for additional protection. In September 2015, Victor Castigador was overheard by an officer while speaking to another prisoner about how Teixeira would, quote, get done in. No action was taken against him, and when Castigador applied to work in the same DHL workshop a month later, he was approved. Despite prison policy, a supervisor said the prisoners were not routinely searched before entering or leaving the workshop. She also revealed that Teixeira was vocally displeased with Castigador's behaviour, and told the supervisor not to let Castigador help her. Castigador became increasingly agitated by Teixeira and told anyone who would listen that he was planning on assaulting him. In May 2016, a routine search of the vulnerable prisoner unit was carried out and officers found a rock beside Castigador's cooking equipment. The staff later explained that they believed he used it to grind herbs and spices and they did not report it or confiscate it. One of Castigador's jobs on the wing was to clean the fish tanks and it was understood this was where he had obtained the rock. By June 2016, the tension between Castigador and Teixeira had reached boiling point. Castigador was incensed by Teixeira's disregard for others, especially when Teixeira blocked the fan in the workshop with boxes on an exceedingly hot day. They exchanged words on June 15th, and the following day Castigador told the supervisor that he was going to kill Teixeira. He said, I might not do anything today or in the workshop, but I will do something. The supervisor submitted a security report in which she wrote, Inappropriate behaviour by prisoner. This morning Teixeira and Castigador had some disagreement and it got a bit heated. They both got on with their work and kept quiet, but Castigador came and told the reporting officer, I'm going to kill that bastard. He is in big trouble next time I see him. 
over that weekend. Castigador spoke to other officers on B-Wing and told them he was frustrated in the DHL workshop because of Teixeira. Castigador said that Teixeira treated the other prisoners with contempt and rubbed people up the wrong way. He said he felt as though he was being cornered, and the only thing Castigador could do was lash out. However, he spoke of being conflicted. Castigador enjoyed his time in the workshop. Two days later, Castigador bludgeoned Sidonio Teixeira to death in the locked foyer outside the workshop. Warwickshire and West Mercia police began a joint homicide investigation and Victor Castigador was ultimately charged with his third murder. Castigador explained in interviews that Teixeira was a horrible man and a bully. If he had survived the attack, Castigador would have tried to kill him again anyway and said, sometimes you have to punish evil. As he had done 26 years earlier, Victor Castigador changed his plea on the first day of the trial. At Birmingham Crown Court, describing how Castigador had no regrets, prosecutor Peter Greaves-Smith QC stated, As far as the attack was concerned, it was a merciless attack carried out with an intent to kill. Mr Justice Haddon Cave addressed Castigador before sentencing him to a second whole life tariff and said, You seem to think that you are something of an enforcer. As you said, it was your job. You sought to justify your actions by saying Mr Teixeira was serving a life sentence for murdering his child. It is not your job or right to judge others or pass moral judgments on others and it is not your job to punish evil. You should try and live out the rest of your sentence with dignity. Every human life has value, even yours. You will spend the rest of your natural life in prison with no prospect of ever being released. Before he was led back to prison, Castigador stood up and shouted, what hope have I got? These people are pissing on me. He came to me. He's asking for that. I'm sorry, Your Honour, but thank you very much. So where are we now? Paul Clinton one of Victor Castigador's accomplices in the 1989 arcade attack, appealed his sentence in 2003. He had been ordered to serve at least 20 years in prison for his role in the double murder and attempted murders, and by 2003 he had made enough progress within the prison system to be moved to a Category C prison. Clinton had studied a number of languages while incarcerated and was said to be a gifted linguist. However, reports highlighted that he continued to deny his involvement in the fatal fire 
despite expressing remorse and disgust at the offence. He said his biggest regret was the fact that lives were needlessly taken, wasted and destroyed. Yurev Gomez and Debbie Alvarez submitted statements opposing Clinton's appeal to reduce his sentence. They said that they did not believe 14 years was long enough. Yurev had lost a lung as a result of the fire. Focusing on Debbie Alvarez's injuries, the appeal decision states, Miss Alvarez still suffers from injury to her windpipe and is difficult to understand. She is severely disfigured and only leaves her house once or twice a week. She constantly falls over because of her injuries to her legs and continues to suffer fractures to her feet because of these falls. Clinton's application for leave to appeal was denied. However, six years later, he was eligible for parole. Speaking about Clinton's release, Debbie Alvarez was interviewed by a reporter for the Daily Star. She said, I just want Clinton to stay in there. I don't want to think about him. It's so upsetting. It was a horrendous ordeal, but I just have to try and get on with it. Nowadays, I don't see anyone really. I just go to the local shops and the library to read the newspapers. I used to walk a lot, but now I can't walk that far because of my injuries. It becomes painful. I have down days like everyone, but I like listening to music. It makes me feel better. I've had 20 years to try and get used to it, but it's difficult. I'll always be disfigured. Although the prison service does not provide media statements on a prisoner's status, all Castigador's accomplices in the arcade attack are now likely to have been released. In January 2017, Victor Castigador was moved to HMP Woodhill in Milton Keynes, following concerns about his health. He had suffered a suspected stroke five years earlier and was still experiencing complications. On March 18, 2017, Castigador was found in his cell, slumped over with his right side shaking in an erratic manner. He was transported to a hospital, where he was placed on life support until March 21st, when he passed away. Victor Castigador's cause of death was recorded as a stroke, brought on by a blood clot. He was 62 years old. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.